John, thanks so much, keeping us informed, keeping us connected to uh, the most important stuff of the chapel. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, listen, welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Come on, who's excited to be in church today? Awesome day to be in the house of the Lord. Listen, I am really, really excited. If I haven't met you, my name is David. My wife, Sarah, and I are the youth pastors here at this chapel. Uh, and I'm really, really excited because today we continue our uh, hero series. And this is where we're looking at characters in the New Testament. Uh, we're looking at their character. We're looking at their, at their ministry. We're looking at the godly example that they provide so that we can learn, we can learn from it. And I'm really, really, really excited uh, to hop in and continue Hero today. So I hope that you're excited. Uh, you can follow along. There is uh, message notes in the mobile app, in our Faith Chapel mobile app. So if you want to engage with the message, uh, would love if you would follow along there. And then we'll also have the verses up on the screen uh, as well. I want to honor Pastor Jim and Pastor Kelly as our pastors. Can you give it up for them really quick? Absolutely love these guys. They just came back from vacation, looking really tan, rested up. So welcome back, guys. It's great to have you. I, I just, I love honoring these guys because every single day I get to come to a job that I, I don't even know that I could, like, you know, call a job, you know, working at the church, working with students. And I'm serious. Sometimes I have to pinch myself because I get to do what I love every single day. And it's because of them. It's because of them just being obedient to God and leading our church. And they gave... Sarah and I, at the time, 22-year-olds who thought we knew a lot and we've learned a lot more since then, and they gave us the shot uh, in order to be a part of the Faith Chapel family to say, hey, we're going to continue to advance the footprint of God's kingdom together, and I love these guys. The more that I work with them every single day, I just see that they are, they are passionate about Jesus. They love people. There is no length that they will not go to love people in the name of Jesus. So let's follow them. Let's get behind them. Come on. saying let's follow them let's get behind them because god is going to take faith chapel hall he's going to impact Syracuse and the ends of the world like like john was just saying because of their leadership come on i'm excited somebody say amen all right we're jumping into heroes today uh, i want to jump uh, around a little bit and if i'm completely honest with you uh, what i want to present to you today is is going to be more of like a teaching uh, rather than a sermon i want to clear up uh, what I think is, is one of the, the, the most widespread um, misconceptions in the New Testament uh, today. And this is actually a controversial topic, so if I offend you today, please don't hurt me. Um, my mission today is to take what the Bible says so that we can learn from that. Okay, so at the end of, at the end of my message today, at the end of the day, we're going to see what God's inspired word says about this topic, okay? So again, like I said, we're, we're in our series called Heroes, and heroes are people that are admired for their character, they're admired for what they did, and I'll tell you what, the entire Bible is full of people that we could label heroes. And this time around, we did Old Testament heroes, I believe it was last year, this time around we're looking at the New Testament, and I'm serious, there are so many heroes, it was, it was so hard just to choose one, because there's so many people that we can learn from their godly example and say, hey, what principles can we take from their life and apply to ours as we continue to be made more like Jesus? Because that's why we're here. That's one of our values at Faith Chapel. And today I want to talk to you about the Apostle Paul. And he is probably one of the most influential people after Jesus. He's probably the most influential person 
in the New Testament. And I love this guy. He, he was a champion of the, go- of the gospel. His life mission was to spread the good news of the redemption that Jesus brought to mankind. He was a leader of leaders. I mean, the, the local church today owes much of who we are to Paul's ministry. I mean, the growth and the expansion that the local church experienced in the first century and beyond is connected directly back to Paul. And not only that, the guy wrote practically most of the New Testament. So when we're talking about heroes, Paul is right up there with the best of them. And I'll tell you, the more that, the more that I study this guy, the more that I learn about his life, and the more that I learn about his teaching, he is quickly climbing up uh, the list of, of my favorite heroes in the Bible. And what I love about Paul is that he wasn't just a champion of the gospel. I mean, we look at his writings and we look at his life. We look at the leaders that he launched in the ministry. We look at the number of churches that he established. And what I love about him is he wasn't just a champion of the gospel. He said, you know what, I'm going to know one thing, and that is Christ crucified. But what I also like about Paul is that he was a champion of equality and freedom. Because we can't have the gospel without equality and freedom. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today, and I'm, I'm really, really excited and, and when, we look, when we look at Paul's life, when we look at the first century, we see that, much like today, it was not a period in history where there was no discrimination, where there was no prejudice. I mean, slavery was, was every day. It was common in, in that time. And we, we had different people from different countries, like the Jews were opposed to the Samaritans and to the Greeks, and women were held um, less valuable uh, than men, and they were not equal, and they were not free Uh, by any means in that day. So what I want to do is I want to compare and contrast a little bit today um, equality and freedom in the writings of Paul's letters and see how uh, they apply today. And and I love what Paul writes. He writes this in Galatians 3. Check this out. We are going to see the champion of equality and the champion for freedom in these verses right here. Let's read Galatians 3, 26 through 28. We'll have it on the screen. It says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, um, or excuse me, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And here's what Paul is doing. Paul is addressing prejudice. He's addressing discrimination because what those two things are is is it's a skewed perspective. And here's what he's doing. He's reminding the church that he's writing to, the Galatian church, And he's saying, listen, you're slipping back into your old ways. When Jesus came, he brought the good news of the gospel, redemption. He was literally the gospel, like living, breathing redemption for mankind. And here's what you're doing. You're slipping back into this discrimination. You're slipping back into this prejudice, which is based on man's value system. Connecting people's value to to what we do, the things we say, the people we hang around with, how how well we keep the old covenant and the laws that were in the old covenant. He's saying, guys, you're slipping up. Jesus came. He redeemed us, and, and, and with his kingdom comes a brand new value system that adjusts our perspective, saying, listen, we're all valuable. It doesn't matter if slave or free, Jew or Greek, male nor female. We are all valuable. We have the same value in God's eyes, and he's directly coming against that prejudice and that discrimination. That's why I love this guy as, as, as a champion of equality and a champion for freedom. And let me tell you something. The value system of heaven is bursting with freedom and equality for all people. But here's, here's what I want to talk about directly today. Discrimination against women was very, very prominent in Paul's day. And I think if we take a look around, unfortunately, it still exists in our world today. 
And that's, that's what I want to go after today. Um, in the first century, women were virtually their husband's property. All right? They belonged to men. They were literally treated as baby-making machines uh, made to serve every desire of their husband. All right? And we can see, we can see as we look at, at the context of the first century, women were not equal and women were not free um, when compared to men. And, and that, like I said, that's what I want to look at a little bit today because, like I said, while it might not be on the same level, it might not look the same, Inequality for women still existed. And I believe that we see something different in Scripture than what we're seeing in our culture today. And that's what I want to go after today. Because, listen, as the church, we have to take a stand against inequality on all levels because we have the value system of heaven. We have the value system of the kingdom of God that says everyone is valuable. That's why it says in the New Testament God doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. If he doesn't have an equal value system for everyone, that verse gets thrown out the window. And that's what I want to look at today. But maybe you're asking yourself, didn't Paul make a couple statements in the New Testament? Didn't he talk about women? Didn't he talk about women specifically in the church? And if we look at a couple of these statements, they are very, very polarizing. And what I want to do is I want to clear up some misconceptions. Because I think that a couple verses, when taken out of context, they conflict with each other. And what I want to do is I want to clear that up today. So Paul in 1 Timothy, he's, he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. I'm going to read you a verse out of 1 Timothy 2. He says this, 1 Timothy 2, he's writing to his spiritual son, who at the time is an apostle in the church at Ephesus. He says this, 1 Timothy 2.12. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's pretty strong. Those are pretty strong words that Paul is saying. He makes another statement in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 35, he says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, here's a question in my mind. How do we reconcile what Paul says in those two verses, which are some pretty strong words directed towards women? How do we reconcile that with Galatians 3? Neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Are you seeing what I'm trying to paint with? There's a little bit of a conflict. There's a little bit of a tension, and it deserves clearing up. All right, so here's, here's how we're going to go about this. In order to reconcile what Paul says in these verses with Galatians, first we have to look at Paul's body of work. This guy wrote most of the New Testament. So we want to look at his work as a whole. Because here's what happens. When you take a couple verses out of context, you can make any verse say what you want it to say. So we have to look at Paul's body of work. We have to exercise proper hermeneutics, proper interpretation of the scripture. So that's what we're going to do briefly today. And then secondly, we need to take a look at the historical and the textual context. Because I don't know if you've noticed, there's a couple thousand years between us and when Paul wrote this, and some stuff has changed since then. And, and we want to we look at that and see the differences and say, mm, is Paul writing to all people, or does he have a specific context that he's writing in today? And I believe that because these two verses specifically, and there's a couple others um, that, I, that, I don't, that I don't have time, that Paul just didn't write, um, that I don't have time to go over today, and I wish I could. Um, but I believe that when these two verses are taken out of context, Paul's position on women and Paul's position on women in the church has been grossly misunderstood. And I think sometimes Paul's gotten a bad rap when I study his life and when I study his body of work, I see this guy as a champion of equality and freedom and not telling women to shut up. So let's, let's, let's jump in. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Let's look at Paul's body of work. So when we look at Romans 16, this is a letter that, that Paul is writing to the church, 
in Revelation. At the end of this letter, he goes to a bunch of people, and he basically brags on these people. And in that list of people that he is bragging on, that he has partnered with in ministry in Romans 16, he lists quite a few women. And I want to see who he mentions. He mentions Phoebe, who was a deaconess. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila. You may have heard this before. But he is defying a cultural norm right there by listing Priscilla first and then Aquila. We don't even do that in today's culture. If someone addresses me and my wife, it's Mr. and Mrs. David Wright. But Paul lists Priscilla first. Man, that's really crazy. So right there, we're seeing, we're seeing, something, we're seeing something a little different. Uh, Paul also mentions Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis, And he's bragging on them. And he's like, man, these people have partnered with me in ministry. I owe them so much. I'm going to honor them by including them in this letter that, that is going to be read in front of an entire church. I, I can vouch for their character. I can vouch for their ministry. He, he understood, Paul understood the weight of mentioning someone by name, recognizing them in a letter. When we look at 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 8 and chapter 12, Paul talks about Titus, and he's bragging about, his, about, about Titus and his ministry. And when we look in those chapters, something that I find really, really interesting, and I wish we could go more in depth, uh, on this today. Paul mentions Titus by name, but then there's a letter of Titus that Paul does not mention by name. Why? Because Paul understood the weight of what he was doing by mentioning people by name in this letter. He's saying, I have to be able to vouch for their character. I have to be able to vouch for their ministry. And when Paul was sending Titus and this unnamed brother, I, I would imagine Paul probably wanted this guy to have a little bit more experience, a little bit more track record before he said, you know what, I'm going to mention him by name. But when we look at that and we see the weight of, of when Paul recognizes someone by name in one of these letters, it makes him mention all these women at the end of, of, uh, of Romans that much more significant, saying, man, I can vouch for these people. I am blessed by them because they have furthered the kingdom of God because of their ministry. And that just, that just absolutely blows my mind because that right there Paul is defining cultural norms and saying, you know what, I'm going to stand for equality and freedom for women in this day and age. Again, going back to the example of Priscilla and Aquila, I mean, how many of us would be shocked today if we did that in our, in, in our culture? If, if my wife was mentioned before me in an official document, personally, I'd love it. But when I see them, I'm like, man, just think about that. Now, maybe the question that you're asking yourself is, while Paul, while Paul, excuse me, while Paul acknowledges these women as hardworking ministers in Romans uh, chapter 16, maybe you ask yourself, okay, so these women worked, they did ministry. What, what, about, what about just how they ministered to the church? I mean, come on, we've had this conception for a while in church. Now, I'm speaking very generally because there's, there's always exceptions. We've kind of had this conception for a while, like women can do certain things, but women can't do other things. And this is one of the first questions that comes to mind. What about women apostles? What about women prophets? What about women senior pastors? Does the Bible, what, what does the Bible say about this? What does Paul have to say about this, right? Now, Paul comments on um, women in the fivefold ministry. Um, I'm sorry. Does Paul comment? I can't even read my own writing. Does Paul comment about women in the fivefold ministry, which he mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? They're basically the foundation for leadership in the church. What, what, is, what does Paul have to say about this? Okay, again, we're trying to clear up the the misconceptions between these two verses of Galatians 4, 1 and 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians. How can we clear this up? All right. In Ephesians 2.20, we see that apostles and prophets are the foundation for the church. Paul's writing saying upon these, the, the, the church will be built and it will be healthy. And if we, if, we, 
if we look at the world, if we look at the Bible, and if we say, man, if women can hold these positions, women can be apostles and prophets, then by reason, they can fill every other ministry, every other leadership position in the church. And I want to expand a little bit and look beyond Paul's body of work and look at the body of Scripture because it does not contradict it. And when we look for women in the office of the prophet or prophetess, we see four of them in the Bible. We see three in the Old Testament. We see one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, and in the New Testament, we have Anna. And here's what I want to point out. The root word for prophet and prophetess in the original language of the Greek is the same word. Prophetess. Say that to me. Women prophets have the same level of authority and can have the same level of influence as the guys because the root word is, is the same. So we look at the body of Scripture and we see that women can hold the office of a prophet. But, but what, about, what about apostles? Well, check this out. Romans 16. Gosh, I love this chapter. Paul's just wrecking people. In Romans 16, verse 7, Paul mentions, I'm going to try to remember who it is. Um, Andronicius and Junia. Junia, that's a great name. Um, and he mentions these two people. And Junia, there is no argument from biblical scholars that Junius is a first century female name. And Paul mentions them in, in Romans 16, verse 7. He says, they are outstanding among the apostles. He even goes on to say they were, they were in Christ. They were even Christians before me. So right there, Paul is recognizing, again, we, we, we've, we've learned the weight of name recognition in Paul's life. So he's recognizing two apostles, one male, one female, and they are outstanding among the apostles. So when we look at Paul's body of work, when we look at the look at the entire body of Scripture, we see that the Bible and, and Paul are not opposed to women holding the two highest level of leadership positions in the church. That they can do it, right? But maybe you're asking yourself, what about, what about women? What about women being senior leaders, being senior pastors? Well, I'll tell you what. The concept that a woman cannot be a senior pastor, in my mind, if, if we're looking at the Bible, we're looking at what these verses really mean in, 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 in terms of their textual and historical context, I think that it is extremely hard to defend the position that women cannot be senior pastors, biblically. And now granted, what I'm doing today is I'm just kind of giving a brief overview. We could, we could do weeks and weeks and weeks on, on this topic. I'd be happy to, to have a conversation if you, if you think otherwise. But pastor is found once in the New Testament. It's found in Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 11. And in this verse and in its surrounding context, we find, find zero guidance for women not being allowed to be senior pastors, to be senior pastors. Um, and all in all, the restrictions that we create for women having high-level leadership positions in the church, having positions in the fivefold ministry, they're based on culture and they are not based on the will of God. And we have restricted their access to these positions because we're giving more weight to culture than we are to the Bible. All right, so I told you we were going to look at the, the body of Paul's work. We even expanded that just a little bit to the, to the body of Scripture. Secondly, I want to look at these two conflicting passages, all right, in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians. Because when compared to Galatians, we're seeing some conflict here. And, and I, want to look at, I want to look at these two conflicting passages uh, and see what we can find out about this. All right, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 first. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your mobile devices, 1 Corinthians 14, we'll also have it on the screen for you. Chapter 14, verses 
34 and 35. Paul writes this, women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, I'll tell you what, if we are going to understand the textual and the historical uh, context of this letter, then we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. We need to ask, who is Paul writing specifically in order to understand the context? And then we need to ask ourselves, what specifically is he addressing? Because taken by themselves, those verses are pretty clear, and they're pretty strong, but I think there's more to the picture than, than just those two verses, right? So 1 Corinthians, um, on a broad scale, let me give you a little bit of background about this letter. The, the, the Corinthian church wrote to Paul, and you see that in 1 Corinthians 7, saying, hey, we need your help with some things, right? And we see that, that 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, is Paul's response to the request of this church saying, hey, we need some help. You're our leader. You're our oversight. Can you come in and can you help us with the situation that we are dealing with? And I'll tell you what, as we, as we look at this in the next couple minutes, I truly believe that, that Paul is not, again, I repeat, Paul is not endorsing a universal shut-up for all women, but as we see the context, he's addressing a specific situation, all right? So let's, let's see that, all right? Now, the first question I want to ask is, why would Paul, if, if, he, if he is, let's just say this, hypothetically, if Paul is endorsing a universal shut-up of all women, you can't talk, and so shut off, nope, skip, then why, in verse 31 of the same chapter, would Paul say, you all can prophesy in turn? Again, we're getting conflicting statements, if you will, on the surface level, at face value, and we got to say, okay, well, which one's going to be more authoritative? Is Galatians 3 going to be more authoritative than, than 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, or, or, or are we going to take verses 34 and 35, are we going to place them above verse 31, all right? So we have to dig a little bit, because if we take both statements at the same uh, authority, verse 31 and then 34 and 35, it kind of shoots Paul's credibility in the foot, all right? So what I, what I want to explain is that Paul is specifically addressing disruptions that are happening in the Corinthian church when the gospel is presented. Remember, this is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, we are here today, I truly believe, because of the, the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. But next on that list is because Paul just busted his butt in the first century. And if this guy is a champion of the gospel, then in these churches, within these churches that he oversees, you can bet your bottom dollar that this guy is like, man, we need the gospel presented and we need it presented clearly for the unbelievers that are there. And this is what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, here's what I'm going to show you. Paul is concerned for the unbelievers that are hearing the gospel. And we have to really dig into the Greek text to understand this. And in the original Greek text, excuse me, Paul uses a specific symbol that has two purposes, but we find that he often used it in his other writings, right? So in the Greek language, the Greek language doesn't have quotation marks, right? That must have been a really, really annoying time. But in chapter 14, Paul is doing this. In verses 26 through 33, he's teaching how a church service should go. That includes that verse 31, which he wrote, all of you should prophesy in turn. He says, things should be done decently and in order, etc., etc., etc. And he, he gives these guidelines saying, man, I want everyone to be able to participate. And so he's simply saying, we're a family. There's no need for one or two or three or five people to do everything. Here are some guidelines for how a church service can go so everyone can be involved. 
in verses 34 and 35, which we just read, Paul is using this symbol in the Greek language to quote from the original letter that the Corinthians sent to him saying, hey, can you help us out? We're having some disruptions in service. We think this is wrong, but what do you think, right? And Paul is quoting from that proposal when he's saying women should be silent. He's quoting from their proposal because the Corinthians are saying, hey, why don't we just go back to the, the old covenant? Why don't we just be rule-based? And since the women are causing disruption here, we'll just, we'll just tell them uh, to be quiet. And then in verses 36 and 40, Paul, or excuse me, 36 through 40, Paul responds with a firm rebuke to the proposal in this letter saying to keep women silent. Now, at face value, 34 and 35 seem pretty harsh, but Paul is quoting from that earlier letter. The second meaning of this symbol, Paul also used it in his writings as a tone of exclamation. So here's basically what Paul is doing. So he's not only quoting the previous letter from the Corinthians saying, hey, why don't we just tell women to be silent and no women will speak? There's probably two or three women. And they're like, oh, we'll just, we'll just silence all of them. That'll, that'll be our response. Yeah, good job, Paul. But here's what Paul is saying. He's like, what are you talking about? No way. This is insane. He's basically saying, you want to go back to the ways of the old covenant and to the law that was rule-based. He's basically saying, yo, guys, this is, this is absolute nonsense. And then in that rebuke in 36 through 40, he's like, dude, did the word of God originate with you? Are you crazy? And he's reminding people that Jesus came to redeem all people because all of us have the same value. And he's saying, why are you restricting the gospel? Why are you going back to that, to that old covenant where women were forbidden to learn about the scriptures? He's like, yo, that's crazy. What are you guys talking about? So he's reminding them, Jesus came to redeem all people and not to restrict access to the gospel. And when we take a closer look, when we, when we understand the, 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 the context, when we understand what the text is really saying, we see that Paul is not giving this universal shout-out for all women, we can really understand his dialogue with the Corinthian church. And he's not contradicting what he said earlier. He's providing instruction on how the church holds this together. And he's not silencing women in the church. He's saying, yeah, everything should be done decently and in order, and we all can talk about that. But guys, we're not going to go back to that old covenant. We're not going to silence people. We're not going to restrict access to the gospel just because we're having a little disruption. There is a better way to do this. And, and I love this passage because it really reveals the voice of this apostle Paul, who was a champion for equality and truth. He says, there's not going to be zero group. There's not going to be favoritism. There's not going to be men and females. That in Christ, we all are one because we, we have the same value, because of the value system that Jesus instituted with the beginning of the new covenant. All right, so that's 1 Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Timothy. If you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 15. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Again, we'll have it up on the screen for you. Let's read 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Here's what he says. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right, so here is what we're going to do. We're going to ask again, who is Paul addressing and what exactly is he addressing? Again, we need to understand the, the, the historical context and the context of the church. So let's just jump in. 
So here's what Paul is doing. He's writing uh, to his spiritual son, uh, Timothy, who's an apostle in the church at Ephesus. And here's what Paul is doing. Paul is addressing some false teachings that are trying to infiltrate the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, listen, you're my son. You are an apostle, but you're my son. I'm going to give you some guidelines. Here is how we're going to approach this. All right. And Timothy is in Ephesus having to try and deal with the situation of some of these false teachings um, trying to infiltrate their church. And what we see in that is that Paul is addressing Timothy and a specific situation. Again, he is not endorsing universal be quiet to all women. But let's let's dig a little deeper, okay? So according to the original manuscript, and I'm going to show you this up on the screen, Paul goes from writing about women plurally, then he, he switches, he transitions to talking about a single woman and then goes back to exhorting women in the plural sense. And I think that this is really cool. So we're going to put this up on the screen, all right? In verse 11... Check this out. So this is a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. All right, Paul is talking in the singular according to the original text. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman, singular, to teach or to assume authority over a man. All right, she must be quiet, singular, again, in the original text. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Let's skip there to verse, uh, oh no, that's 14. Let's go verse 15. But women, plural, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right, so in verse 12, where, where Paul is talking about a woman singularly, he uses the word authority. Now, here's where we have to be very, very careful about this. What Paul is meaning with his word, it carries a negative connotation. It's almost like forceful. It's like, I don't permit a woman to have forceful, in-your-face authority in teaching. Because it's a singular woman. Here's what Paul is doing. Check this out. Paul is confronting a specific woman that is spreading these false teachings all around the church. He's not talking to all women. He's not talking to all women just in that church. He's confronting a specific woman saying, we're not going to give this woman authority to teach because she's spreading evil teachings. And there was a pagan temple in that city, Ephesus. And these people are very, very familiar with this pagan practice of worship. And I would not be surprised if this woman is blending the two. She's blending the message of redemption through Jesus and the gospel with these other teachings. And Paul's saying, listen, we got to put an end to this because this isn't just about women. This is just this one particular woman who's spreading false teaching. So, so Paul is not oppressing women in silence. He's addressing the specific issue of false teaching in one woman. He's basically giving his son, his spiritual son Timothy, instructions on how to deal with one troublemaker who's spreading some false teaching. And check this out. To further Paul's belief and his position on women in ministry and women in the church and equality and freedom, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul goes on to just rag and, and love on Timothy's mother and grandmother and says, you know what, they pass on the gospel to you, and they influence your faith. Again, name names. He mentions them by name and says, man, I want to celebrate these strong women in your life because they relayed the message of the gospel to you, and they were an example because of their life and their faith. I want to read to you a passage in Ephesians 4, verse 3, 11 through 13. It says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So Christ himself 
gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying in that in, in those couple verses. Paul is saying, you know what? The clearest sign that the church is walking in the redemption of Jesus, the clearest sign that the church is expanding God's kingdom is when we demonstrate unity in the spirit. And I'll tell you what, unity demands equality and unity demands freedom. If we take equality and we take freedom out of the equation, there can be no unity. Where there is equality and where there is freedom, they contribute to unity. And Paul is saying, man, if the church is living in its fullest potential, it can't be apart from unity. And unity cannot be apart from equality and freedom. What I love when, when Paul is talking about, when Paul's talking about the church, he uses a picture of, of the physical body, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, man, the church is the body of Christ. And Paul goes on in this passage, he goes on to describe that the body of Christ is like, is like different parts. He goes on to say, man, what gives the eye any right to say, man, we don't need that arm? What gives the arm any right to say to the foot, man, we don't need you? Again, here's the voice of the, of, the, of, the, of the apostles, the champions of the gospel, and he's the champion for freedom and equality, saying, hey, we need different people in this body because we're equine. And we renew a human's will. We renew his gifts and the anointing and the calling and the specific roles that women play in our body when we hinder our roles as the Lord would have us. We hinder our roles as faith bodies. And I don't see Paul telling us, hey, women can't teach, women can't have charge, women can't be in leadership roles. I just don't see it. I do not see it. And I tell you what, the church will never thrive in establishing the kingdom of God if women are any less empowered or any less valuable than men. Listen, we are the church, and it, it is our purpose on this earth to take a stand for inequality on all fronts, regardless. Why? Because we have a value system of heaven. And I'll tell you what, if the church is going to thrive, if our church, if Faith Chapel is going to raise up disciples to impact our world, then we need both men and women functioning in the offices of the fivefold ministry from top to bottom, from front to back, no exceptions, because that's what I see the Bible say. I love, I love in Acts chapter 2, where basically like the local church is fed and the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And I don't know if you've noticed this in that passage, when the Holy Spirit came, it's like the Holy Spirit filled all of them. And there was both men and women present in that room. The Holy Spirit didn't bounce around and only fill the men. The Holy Spirit filled both the men and the women. So it's God, the Holy Spirit, who filled both men and women. Why are we creating this guideline? Why are we creating these traditions where women can only fill so far? Come on, we, we need to break that glass ceiling because we need to stand for equality. We need to be able to stand for freedom. The, the gospel, the, the, the good news of the redemption of Jesus in the gospel is about freedom. It says in the New Testament, the Son has set you free, then you are free. And we are set free by believing in truth. Then why are we imposing regulations and rules on women that are not based in Scripture? And I love the Apostle Peter when he's explaining to the people that were there on the day of Pentecost that were observing God pouring out his Holy Spirit on his church. He quotes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, 28 and 29. And I want to read this to you. I'm going to see if there's men and women present. 
from his word. Joel 2, 28 and 29 says, Afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not just some people. Not just the men. Not just adults. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Guys, listen. Again, if we are going to thrive as a church, if we are going to thrive in raising up disciples and impact the world, in fulfilling the Great Commission on this earth, which is the Great Commission in Matthew, then we need both men and women focusing, or excuse me, we need both men and women functioning in every single level of the five-person church. So let me ask you this, guys. How do we, how do we empower women in these, in these shift out discussions? I'll tell you what, a lot of these beliefs are very, very traditional, like I, like I tried to expound on here, and I, I truly, truly believe that we have no time to go in there. So how do we shift our perspective? How do we shift years and years and years of tradition, years and years and years of cultural-based beliefs, and how do we empower women? And I just want to go through a couple things really quick, and then I'm going to close this, all right? The first thing we need to know is we need to not only know what the Bible says, because we can read the Bible and know what it says. We need to know what the Bible means. And I hope that I provided just a, a little bit of a clear picture here. Like I said, we could, go, we could go on and on and on. But we need to know what the Bible says, and we need to know what the Bible means, especially on this issue. And the reason that women have failed to be empowered in our church is because we've taken two or three verses out of context rather than understanding their true meaning. Secondly, I'm just going to fly through these. Let me just make that point. If we are commissioned to spread the word of the gospel, then we need to spread all of it. Because it's a message of freedom. And we need to, we need to spread this, this message of freedom and empowering women wherever we go. I mean, it goes back to the Great Commission. We cannot separate the gospel and freedom. We cannot separate the message of, of redemption, what Jesus came to do in the gospel from freedom. We just can't. We can't do it. Number three, we need to talk to women. We need to hear their stories. We need to hear their dreams. We need to hear their desires. Because I'll tell you what, if we listen to women, our eyes will be open to the need for a shift in perspective. And, and I just want to honor my wife because she has been so patient with me in continuing to learn her perspective. But I'll tell you, when I get questions, I say, what are your dreams? What are your purposes? Because a lot of times I'll try and help her accomplish her dreams and her, her goals according to how I think they should be. But I'm like, is it on your heart? And if we, if, if we talk to women, if we listen to them, we experience a culture shift because we get their perspective. Number four, this is a good one. Eliminate sexist humor. If our humor is alienating women, then we are not creating a safe, unrespectful environment for them to be in. And I'm serious. We need to take a good long look at this, myself included. I'm not perfect here. But then here's what we, we can't do. We can't go to the extreme if we're eliminating this sexist humor, if you will, and make women learn how to drive. If we're going to empower women to be leaders, if we're going to empower women to be a part of the fivefold ministry, we can't do it according to how they think because they're not human beings. You know what I'm saying? Let's empower them to be who they are. Number five, value and seek out opinions from women. We need to eliminate the self-conscious idea that women's opinion is valuable and that it's legitimate. We, it's just a, an echo of what we're hearing. Number six, empower women in the church. Listen, the church should be ahead of the curve. I mean, we, we, see, we, see, we see the, we see the, the, the our government in the, in the United States is less than 20% Catholic. And recently, in the past several years, we, we, we've seen a lot of talk and a lot of, a lot of debate and a lot of discussion about equal pay for women. The church should be ahead of the curve 
on the city. And I'll tell you what, saying that we value and empower women is completely different than doing it. We need to do it. We need to create examples for generations to come. And not just say, oh, we value women. No, we ought to do that. And for our children, for our children's children. Because saying it isn't doing it. And seventh, I'm going to close with this. Remove obstacles to women taking leadership. Listen, like I said, we could go for, we could go probably for weeks and weeks on this. We could probably do a whole series on this. But in what we just looked at, in, in the example of Jesus, and I love the example of Jesus. He, he, had, he had, like, scandalous interactions with women, according to cultural norms. Never sinned there. Scandalous, but never sinned. He talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. He was talking to a woman in the middle of the day, which was completely prohibited. And Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other. Do you think Jesus would impress a guy to what Mark's going to impress him who's beating up a controversial Roman leader? No. Just proof the question. But if we believe from a biblical perspective that we, we need men and women in leadership and in ministry positions, then we need to make it easy for them to do that. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just pray for just a minute. Would you close your eyes and just focus on Jesus, whatever it looks like for you in this moment? I believe that here's what I want to do. I just, I just want to make I just want to make a simple declaration. Because God spoke as He created this earth. Our words have power. The Bible says that this this in your tongue is the power of life and death. And I believe that today can be a turning point when we say, you know what? This is the way it is. According, according to the word of God. According to our belief in the church. According to our values. So let me pray and then we're going to make this declaration. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your value system. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth. And that you suffered a horrendous criminal's death. Not only to forgive us of our sins and wipe away our mistakes, but to give us equal value, to give us equal power, regardless of our background, regardless of our mistakes, regardless of our sins, regardless of our experience. We thank you that we would be able to be made in your image. So we just thank you. Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just start doing a work right now. For any of us who have been touched, whether near or far, whether recently, a long time ago, whether it's just a little bit or a whole lot of inequality or discrimination or a lack of empowerment, Lord, would you bring healing? Holy Spirit, would you bring healing? Come. God, do what only you can do in this moment. Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your renewing our minds in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you over here in Jesus' name. Let's just wait for one more minute. declaration with me and you can repeat after me today marks a turning point in equality in empowerment for both men and women we declare 
standing on the word of God that both men and women hold the same value in the eyes of our Father. And we take a stand against all inequality because Jesus makes us valuable. God, we thank you. We give you praise, Lord. You're worthy. God, we just release freedom. We thank you that because your spirit is here, there's freedom in this place. So we just thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. The weight is just being lifted off of some of you right now. Jesus. So God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. You are worthy. God, we just bless what you're doing. God, I thank you that when we say amen, that you don't stop working, Jesus, but that you continue to work because you're faithful. And your plans for us are so good and so deep and so deep. We thank you that you're an amazing God. I just bless each and every person in this room. And we thank you for what you have for us, both men and women, and for the future of Faith Chapel. God, we just give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' name. Hey, the ministry team will be up here if you need some prayer or drink some coffee in the atrium or kitchen if you need. Thank you so much.